Thanks for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. Our Sunday services are held at 1030 a.m. at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To stay up to date with what's going on at Joy Church, check out our website at www.joychurch.life. The following message is presented by our senior leader, John Poundstone. The message that I prepared this morning, coincidentally, I, I, I never think about how many might be coming. I think it's fairly, it's pretty intimate, it's pretty personal. And so, feel free to do like it says in Hebrews 10.25, forget not the uh, building of the temple, and that means sitting close to one another. You don't have to, but... Um, it does seem like I'm talking to 200 when there's not that many. Set us up. I'm trying to set us up for success this morning and walk out of here changed by him. Father, you offer so graciously. In fact, it says in the book of Luke that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God. You delight in it. Father, thank you that your nourishment is fully available, <clears throat> that you offer us living water at all times, that you offer us wells of kingdom revival only for the dipping of our buckets. Help us to assimilate that knowledge at a much deeper level, but take us beyond that, Holy Spirit. Take us into actually living it this morning, appropriating from your free gifts and your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, today I'm going to speak to you yet again this week just from my heart of all these decades of experience in being carrying the privilege of being a spiritual dad to some, a lifetime of experience and uncountable hours in uh, studying the word of the scriptures and so forth. So uh, I'm just going to speak to you as a dad, but let's start here. Today was the first day it felt like Fernley in the summer to me. There's that, there's that, you know, when, you, when it turns winter or it turns fall, there's that smell in the air, there's that shift. And same with the Fernley summer. I mean, the noceums are gone. The, the ponds and puddles have pretty much dried up. And there's that, there's that, there's that Fernley haze, right? That certain summer haze that kind of, when it gets real hot, when overnight the concrete hasn't cooled and the rocks haven't cooled, right? I mean, and there's, and there's just this, that kind of haze out over the Fernley Sink and around the whole region. It's not just Fernley, it's everywhere. And it, it's it's really dry and it's really hot. And you say, oh, okay, we're in summer now. It, you, feel, you feel that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a funny thing. The first time that I can remember we really experienced it, hardcore, was on a certain Sunday. In fact, it was also the first Sunday in July. And we had been, uh, we'd been in a long dry testing season, and uh, we we had been uh, serving or helping out with an absolutely gorgeous church up at Lake Tahoe, and we, we just knew that, man, this was a, this is today still a very posh church with really, really nice people, and we were looking so, in fact, we were looking so forward to serving in this church and so forth, and I had been helping out with their Senior pastor did some consulting, that kind of stuff, and uh, <laughs> we thought we'd actually been actually driving around looking at houses and getting prices and thinking, "Hell, that's cool." Our next assignment takes us from South Reno to the north, the North Shore of Tahoe, or maybe even the West Shore. We were pretty cool with that. So we pull up because we'd been invited to come 
uh, they're, this church, 24 years old, 25 now, I think. This may be the 25th year that this church has been in existence. And um, this church was, they were going to go through a transition. It turned out to be a really rough transition, but nobody knew that going in. But our first Sunday in the church, we came off this beautiful paved parking lot and trees and gorgeous and Lake Tahoe on uh, the first Sunday of July and pulled up onto the hot rocks, my wife's scarring up her heels, um, walking in and so forth. And, and so that, that, set, that set us up, right, for this one Sunday where... And then they ask us, because this is going to be on the recording, I'm, go- I'm going to say something bold. It is absolutely biblical. It's absolutely accurate. It has been confirmed by our apostolic covering and myriad other places that the spiritual authority over this church, unwittingly, not asking for it, transferred to me that day. And um, it's been that, it's been ever since that day. Do you know, can I tell you something? That was 468 Sundays ago that I took this podium as an in, as a guest teacher for two or three weeks while they rested up before they searched for their senior pastor. 468 Sundays ago. Can we just celebrate that? There are at least two men in this room who were here back then at the foundations of this church. In fact, as kids, they went to school here. Where even uh, their families were even in the living room of the lady who actually hosted the first meetings of this church. And here they are in this room. So I counted an amazing privilege, and I just want to celebrate with you that this first Sunday in July is pretty memorable to my wife and me. Uh, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a deal. So back to being from the heart. Um, I'm going to speak pretty extemporaneously. I just want to once again, because normally when I speak, most of you know, you know, popcorn scriptures, I'm citing chapter and verse all along and giving you the context and giving you the great, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the uh, hermeneutics. I'm giving you the apologetics. I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show you that I don't just make this stuff up. And I'm trying to show you that the Holy Spirit sometimes speaks through me and so forth and so forth. So today we're not going to be citing chapter and verse. Sometimes I just can't help it. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, cause it's just natural. But I, I, let's put up that first slide, Debbie, because, um, I'm saying names again. This, this is, these are the scriptures that found this, my, heart message to you today. The ones on the left, I highly encourage you to go read after you've heard this message. Ask the Holy Spirit to sit down with you and partner as you do. At the end of the message, I plan on reading to you, speaking over you, speaking into you the three revelation verses and the examples that I cite. And most of this message is pretty much 100% founded on those scriptures out of First Kings and out of John, those books. So if you'd like to take a picture of this, or if you want to request a copy of these slides afterwards, I'm only too happy to provide that. Also, when this message is it's being recorded, when the recording is posted on our website, these slides will all be up there. Um, they won't 
if you listen to it on the Spotify podcast, just the audio piece will. But you have plenty of access and ease of access to these scriptures, and I just want you to know that 100% of this is founded in those. Any questions or comments? Okay, let's move to the what actually is the first slide. I'm going to call this message Hydrate. Hydrate. Most of us have been around. I mean, there are some people here from Jerusalem, the friendly area. There are some people attending this room this morning who are from Judea, Fallon, um, and other places and around the region. Some people have come in from Judea, Lake Lahontan, and so forth to attend this morning. Um, some people have been to the uttermost parts recently and have returned. Uh, Las Vegas would be a Riverside, San Diego. Been to the uttermost parts. Uh, let's see, who else has been far away? Oh, Arizona, California. Um, yeah. So, thanks. Hydrate. When you live in Nevada, there are fruit trees. Apple trees, apricot trees. Is that right or do we say apricot? <laughs> <laughs> Plum trees, yeah, cherry trees, great. There's a lot of grapevines around here. I'm kind of surprised how many grapevines are. How, what other kind of fruit trees and vines are there around the area? Mulberry, yeah, yeah. I've, there, and our neighbor, our neighbor has a pomegranate tree that produces fruit. Say it again. Yep, yep. That's right. Now we used to have the where the house where we used to live had an apple tree in the backyard, and they were absolutely wow. They were awful. And, uh, <laughs> you know, tart. Uh, I'm sure that they were, you would put them to good use in all kinds of things like my mom used to do, but that's just not us. The birds liked them, and I didn't because along with our apricot, apricot tree, which we didn't, we're not fans of that either. It was just a lot of raking and bagging and so that all of the vermin didn't camp in our yard, right? But every year, every year come spring, summer, early fall, there were a few of those apples that would hang on the tree from last fall. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those ones that just hang there and it wouldn't come off, won't fall. Birds have pecked at them for as much as they're worth. Remember what they looked like? Think about that apple when it started and think about that apple now. Just Right? It's apple fruit hanging from... The branch. That's going to come up later. Raisins. 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 What is a raisin? Starts out as a grape. What's a, what's a prune? Yeah. Right. So hence the picture of raisins. Dehydrated fruit. What's the, what's the content difference? What's the nutritional difference between a raisin and a grape? Same. Same. Some would say, maybe, say it again, I don't think so. Raisin, what you get is what's left over after all the life force has left it. What you get is you get some texture, you get some converted sugars. That's not the same sugar that was in the grape. And what, what's a raisin good for? Some would say nothing. I happen to like them. In my oatmeal cookies, I happen to like them in my oatmeal. I happen to like them on my cereal. Haters, put your thumbs down. A lot of people don't like raisins, right? So, so what? 
<laughs> we have a young person who's got thumbs down. So uh, a, a raisin pretty much carries some texture and some accent and some sugar. Actually, a lot of sugar. Very low nutritional value. Almost no nutritional value. In fact, it's kind of a funky food, kind of an unnutritional food. Probably one of the reasons I like them. All of its essence is gone. The only, the only thing that's happened is that its sugars have morphed into something else. It cannot reproduce. It cannot produce. It cannot create the, anything. The only thing that's good about a raisin in terms of what it can actually produce is that it can be consumed. What about a grape, though? A grape has all of the nutrients still. A grape has phytochemicals and bioflavonoids, and it's a grape is ready and eager to produce things, to be used, to create more things like a snack, a nutritious snack that we actually can get some good out of. It, it, it can be fun. It can be that can produce fun. I don't know anybody who freezes raisins and puts them in their ice water. But I know people who freeze grapes and, and, and put it... You can make grape juice out of grapes. You can make grape jelly out of grapes. You can make, you can make wine out of grapes. It reproduces after itself, a grape does. You see the difference, the comparison? You might say that the raisin has lost all of its living water while a grape retains its living water. And a grape on the vine? Well, it has a steady source of living water until a power well beyond its own, a power outside of itself, says, okay, you're finished now, and your life is over, and it's time to cut off your life force, your essence, your nutrition. So we're not going to send any more of that down the branch from which you hang. So I'm going to make that into a metaphor for you and me. In Christ, we're grapes. But our fruit can become, the fancy word is desiccated, can become dried out. We can begin to look like raisins. We can begin to dehydrate. Our skin can become desiccated. Anybody have dry skin in Nevada? <laughs> how, about, how about when we were kids, or there are kids, who no matter how much the parents urge them, they won't get out of the pool or out of the lake. And how come we come up out the water or the pool with, we look like pruned, right? Pruned. I learned something about pruned. Turns out it's not dry. It's weird, because if you've been all this time soaking in the water, how come you're pruned? Well, it was originally thought, because it expands the fatty tissues and so forth. Well, I learned that medically, now they're saying no. What happens is that the blood vessels inside your, those extremities actually shrink. It's an autonomic body response to being submerged. Nobody really knows why. Some think that it's so that we have a better grip, so that we can get out of the water. Some people think it's part of what's called the mammalian, mammalian diving reflex to preserve your core, but that's, that's how come you get pruned. So it's possible to soak and still get pruned. Does that make sense? Yeah. Woo I'm doing good then.
What about our soul? Can our soul become dry? Can, can, can we become dehydrated in our soul? Can, can our soul even get to the point where we are, where we are desiccated, looking like an old raisin with that apple hanging from the fernly fruit tree? I, I think so. But before we go any farther, let me try to get my, put my spin on the soul. The Bible talks a lot about your soul, doesn't it? We sang this morning, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord. <laughs> Anybody ever see, touch, feel, take a picture of someone's soul? Uh-uh. <laughs> Trying to describe it and define it for years, yes. It is our mind, it's our will and our emotion. Yes, absolutely sure. Those are great descriptors. But what, but what actually is our soul? Well, some would say it's, it's our essence. It's the, it's the absolute core of who we are. It's that untouchable, intangible, but very real source of who we are. My, some call it a heart. Some call it the human spirit. But it's that essence of who you are and who I am. I defined it this way, and this came out of a very, very, very long and difficult wilderness experience many years ago. The actual fruit of who we are. It's the imager. We learned that the Bible says that we are created in the image of God. The better translation is that we are imagers of him. We are created to be imagers of God. So the soul is the imager, the once-in-all-history unique imager of God that he created to be the imager of himself and to commune with him. So, I, that wasn't good enough for me. And again, this wilderness experience taught me this. Yeah, I'm one of those people, you know them too, maybe you're one. Who has at times in my life gotten to that point where I have nothing left? I mean, I have possessions and things and I'm okay, that kind of thing. But I am so spent and dried up and over it and all that stuff that there's just nothing left. Anybody ever been there? So I began to ask myself, and this has been decades ago, I went through a kind of a self-study. When you have nothing, what do you have? And whatever that is, that's your soul. <laughs> I likened it this way because I read a lot and I'm, I have several heroes. Uh, Desmond Tutu was a hero of mine for a long time. Nelson Mandela was a hero of mine for a long time. But particularly, as it relates to this topic, a, a major hero of mine is to this day a man named Viktor Frankl who wrote some beautiful things and lived a very, very full life while being absolutely locked up in solitary confinement as a Jewish man during the Holocaust with no hope in a Nazi prison camp. What did this man have that I didn't that he could still write those things and see his existence in the manner that he did? What did he have when he had nothing, when everything was stripped away Everything, what is left? No food, no light, no air, no hope, no view, no chance, no sound, no company, no human interaction, absolutely nothing. Everything is stripped away. What do you have left? To me, that's my soul. And I began the quest of finding out, well, if Victor Frankl and Tutu and Mandela and others whom I look up to, can prosper their soul, how can I? 
as I said, clearly our soul can become dehydrated to the point of being desiccated over time. It becomes raisined. My soul can become raisined. Your soul can become pruned. It can shrivel. It can wither. How? Because of imbalance. That's how. It boils down to imbalance. The imbalance of living water. The imbalance of essence. Conditions and circumstances and words and work and striving and stress and insomnia and busyness and overindulgence in unhealthy lifestyles and becoming overtaxed and overburdened and becoming oversubscribed. All of that over time can get us to the point where our soul can be compared to a raisin. There are several people in the Bible who it's easy to see became soul depleted and suffered as a result. I'd like to take a look at Elijah from this standpoint. In the book of 1 Kings, starts in the 16th chapter, and the piece I'm referring to ends up in the 19th, 16, 19 through 19.7, as I recall. Now, Elijah, superstar, right? That guy, that guy, that guy worked, man. He got results. He was busy. He, everything from lying on the son of the the deceased son of a woman to bring him back to life to calling forth drought to calling forth rain to destroying hundreds of prophets of baal to calling god out to light up a fire even when he had already called out for it to rain on the altar defeating 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 winning 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 ministering working traveling Elijah, Elijah was a stud. Just think of the pressure from all he did. Just think of all that pressure, all the stress. Just think of that workload. And just think even of the, the burden and the press and the stressure. No, the stress and the pressure. Put on him as a result of success. Because you're only as good as your last act. Right? In the world. Especially in Elijah's world. So, how does Elijah... This guy end up in a field position in the back of a cave, curled up, whimpering, <laughs> and completely dominated by fear of a woman whose only power was utterly unholy and over whom Elijah ha actually had complete authority. How does that happen? My theory is exactly what we're talking about today. My theory is that his soul gradually dried, shriveled, and withered. And from my perspective, having been a leader a lot of years, it's completely understandable how you get out of balance. When your outflow exceeds your inflow by too much for too long, it's what happens. Sometimes they call it burnout. Sometimes we see pastors and leaders and business people and whoever else, moms, dads, flame out check out, right? So I, in preparing this message, I was thinking about my former life, um, and I was thinking about some other men I know right now who are oversubscribed, they're conscientious dads, they're leaders or, or hard workers in their business, they're prospering their own small business, they serve on multiple different civic uh, engagements and, and volunteer work and all those kinds of things. I was thinking about this one particular family 
within our tribe, uh, kind of a young couple, have four sons, seven and younger. Um, he works full-time, plus goes to school and uh, to, to, learn, to try to learn a trade and become licensed in that trade. She works a job as a mom to four little boys, attended school for a long time, worked part-time, and worked a second part-time job. I'm thinking about another two different families, no, three. In, uh, um, there's another family in, our, in this gathering where a couple more families where the mom is functionally a single mom because either in one case, two little boys, so precious, so beautiful, both of them still diaper ages, one is an infant, and the, and the daddy works constantly, leaving mommy the everything else. And I'm thinking of uh, another family where daddy may be home, may not even be working, or only works a little bit at a time, but he, but she's still a functionally a single mom because daddy, he might be there, but he's not present, and he's not contributing. Can you think of people like that? I can think of two other families who, oh my gosh, this one family, both the husband and the wife are business owners and entrepreneurs. Both the husband and the wife are involved deeply with their children's activities and in their schools, that kind of thing. And, uh, my gosh, they're just constant because the kids are of that age, the preteen age, when they're, the family's just constantly on the go. There are two families in that category right at the top, top of my head. Is it any wonder that we become our own version of Elijah over time? Is it any wonder that our soul can actually shrivel and wither over time? And it happens so gradually and so steadily that we get there, we don't even really realize it, right? Any, can anybody relate to that? Raise your hand. Elijah needed hydration. That's all it was. He was out of balance, man. He just needed his soul hydrated. And he, and he wouldn't have been in the back of that cave, curled up, cowering. Don't you feel for Elijah? I do. As a grape, he desperately needed reconnection to the vine. And he got it. He got it. He got it. That's get to chapter 19. That's, 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 I'm not in the wind. I'm not in the storm. I'm not in the, I'm in the, say it loud, the, the whisper, the still small voice. I'm in the whisper. So how do you know if your soul or someone's soul whom you love is dry or is becoming dry or is at risk of becoming dried out and desiccated? Here are some things I came up with. This is not, I didn't go out and do research in, from psychologists and so forth, but this next slide, and what I would invite you to do is get out your journal or your notes or maybe your phone if you want to stand up and walk around. Take inventory of where you stand in these areas this minute. How are things going? Signs, some signs of soul dehydration. And remember that when my soul gets dehydrated or your soul becomes starting to get withered, what you're trying to, what you're trying to do is reduce the stimuli. You're trying to protect your soul from needing to perform more, needing to, to respond to more. You're trying to protect 
what's left of your soul. So when people begin looking this way, Jesus never says, what's wrong with you? Jesus always says, what happened to you? How'd you get here? Let's get that taken care of. Let's get that soul nourished and replenished. So let's just run run through a few of these. Everybody gets weary, but there's a weary and there's a level of fatigue, right? That just is, it's not normal. It goes beyond normal, right? For, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I don't need to describe that further. Non-typical weariness. I know somebody, when his soul, he is a he, when his soul begins to get withered, he's irritable. Sometimes I see him in the mirror. Now, everybody gets forgetful, right? But when you find yourself several times a week, several times a day, several times an hour walking into a room and forgetting why, or you find yourself where are my keys, more often than is okay, or you really can't find that word that you know perfectly well in that conversation, or you see that face and you know darn well, I know that person and I know that person well, but his or her name, no clue. And you gotta, you got to search and search and search and search and breathe and try to come up with their name because you don't want to be embarrassed by not knowing what their name is, right? Non-typical forgetfulness. Yesterday, no, this morning. <laughs> it was this morning. Sometimes this time of year, I get I, I have some allergies, and I, I I thought, you know what, I'm going to take some of that Claritin, so I lessen the chances I'll be distracting by sniffling. So I went right to my cupboard, thinking about the message, and took out the blood pressure pill that I already took this morning. No, oh, that was yesterday. I have no idea. You ever? Put the cereal in the fridge and the milk on the shelf. Yeah, walk around looking for your phone while you're on it. <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty normal. But what if it starts to happen? What if, it, what if a pattern develops? Our tendency is to excuse it, rationalize it, defend it. When when really it might be the Lord saying, "Hello, hello, you getting a little dry?" Oh my goodness. The tongue cannot be bridled, right? But the tongue can be managed, and the tongue can be influenced. And when we find ourselves criticizing, just a little too full of criticism, a little too full of cynicism, ooh, when sarcasm creeps in, man, it's time to do it. Self-check. If the need, if the need is self-protection, and I really want to manage what stimuli hit me, then I'm going to probably listen with a filter. I'm probably going to be insulted by, offended by, triggered by something that somebody says when they weren't saying that at all, because I'm protecting myself. Does that make sense? Filtered listening is what I call it. I don't know what else to call it. You can go on down through that list, but literally, do you know somebody? Have you ever seen somebody who, when they are so weary, their soul is so so dry that they actually become dull in, in looking, and they actually look but they can actually begin to begin to resemble a prune a little bit because they kind of shrink. Again, if a person has a very dry soul, the more dry the soul becomes, the more that they may be present, they may be on scene, but they're because they're self-protecting, they're unengaged or disengaged. They're there, but they're not engaged. They are there, or you have been there. 
How many times in your life, surely, you have gone someplace because you're supposed to, because I knew the right thing to do. And, and, and there, there, once upon a time, I was, this was fun. I was really interested. I was in it. And now that I find this completely uninteresting, can I go home now? Same environment, different response. Right? Been there? Missing in action. You're there, but you're, you're MIA. That, those all, combine enough of these. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you take a soul check. Put a hydrometer in your soul. How nourished, nurtured, supple is my soul versus how withered is my soul. So I told you that today's message was to be practical. And when you know what the problem is, the solution can be found. And the problem here, like I said before, is simply imbalance. Our soul bank account is overdrawn too often, too much. We spend and deplete more of our mind and our will and our emotion at a rate greater and faster than we make deposits and refill it. It's that simple over time. So the solution is twofold. First, reconcile the account, your soul bank account, to see where you're at, really. Where's your balance? <laughs> and then bring that balance back into balance. Now, I said it was simple, but does that mean it's easy? Kind of it is. But it requires thinking in a new way. So please, before we leave this slide, take one more quick look at it and do a little self-assessment. Where are you at with your soul hydrometer? How supple is your soul? How well are you positioned for all that your life demands right now? To what extent are you taking out loans on your well-being, doing now at the expense of your mind, will, and emotion later? Let's begin to fix it. Naturally, you might be saying, oh, here we go. He's going to say things that are true and right, but there's like no way. He has no idea my situation. He has no idea how little time I have. He has no idea what all, how many plates I got to keep spinning in the air, how many balls I got to keep juggling. And he, he doesn't have a clue, let alone how little time I have in space. You're right. I don't. But after all these years, I know that I know that I know you and I actually have no control over people, over situations, over circumstances, even over ourselves at times, over anything really. So the solution is not going to be in managing, managing outcomes, self-protecting. Well, that's not quite true. We have absolute control over three things, our time, our thoughts, and our choices. So this morning, I'd like to help Abba help you take back some control over your time, your thoughts, and your choices, especially two of them, choices and time. Those two things are key, the key, to bringing the soul back into balance and keeping balance. The key. Two keys. May we see the next slide, please? You see those beautiful grapes? Plump ripening different colors. Aren't they going to make pretty raisins if life gets to them? Everything in the kingdom of God is positional. Everything. That's what has to do with choices. Our choices are always, to what extent am I in position with my king? To what extent am I in position with the throne? To what extent am I in position with kingdom ways, kingdom thinking, kingdom alignment? To what extent have I truly ministered the ministry of reconciliation to myself, to my master, 
to the absolute plumb line? Am I in alignment? Am I reconciled to my Lord and Master and Savior? To the extent I am in Christ and reconciled in position, things will change. Secondly, I do have control over my time. Your choices bring you more into Christ and He more into you or separate you. Your choices bring the ways, culture, and thinking of heaven onto the scene or not. Saving time is a misnomer. <laughs> you can't save time. Ah, five seconds just went away. You didn't save it. You cannot save time. It's not savable. You can kill time. Time is always potential. Time can only be spent. Another way to look at time is time can be invested. Time is the only inventory any of us will ever have in our whole life that we actually do manage. Now, there are people in this room who's, who professionally manage inventory and supply chain, those kinds of things. But even that's beyond their control. One good storm, the pass is closed. One set of tradesmen, one subcontractor. That's out the window. They're not managing nothing but chaos. The only inventory you'll ever truly manage is your time. It is finite. There's only so much. The Bible says so. It would be wonderful to change our lives completely, become a monk or become a nun, or quit everything and go to college, or do a geographical and move somewhere else and get a fresh start, or go to a spa every month or take a long weekend just to ourselves six times a year, or go on an all-inclusive beach resort for three weeks, vacation, all those things, but that's fantasy. For me, at least, all those things are fantasy. Fantasies, at the end of the day, just more frustrating. I'll bring you some micro ideas and suggestions, things that can totally, that are totally doable within your existing life, require no special equipment, and cost no money. You ready? Next slide, please. From withered to supple. Here's just one angle. There's lots of angles, but this is a good one. Reinvest time. You're already spending time on social media. Instead of spending that much time on social media, spend a portion of that same time doing something that nurtures your soul. I'm not saying bad, bad social media addict. I'm not saying stop scrolling. I'm not saying reduce the number of apps that you have or groups that you participate in. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying, is it in balance? If not, do some triage. Say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep that. I enjoy that. And I at least break even. It doesn't bleed my soul. I don't find myself getting more irritable or whatever. <laughs> And instead, reinvest that same time in something else. What are some ideas you could reinvest social media time in? Could, if you like to read. Yeah, you bet. Reading what? That's a good idea. What about healthy, wholesome books that are not the Bible? Isn't that rec just good, healthy recreation? Right? What else? Listening to podcasts? I, every now and again, we try to build a habit in my house of just getting up and walking around, taking a look at outside. Stepping outside, we do this thing that we call earthing and walk in the grass barefooted. It, it, three minutes, ten minutes that I would have otherwise spent scrolling and looking. Energy drinks are horrible for us. Did you know that? They're awful. Just absolutely awful. They dehydrate us physically. They give us false energy. They help us become even more imbalanced by artificially driving us to expend and strive more when our body is saying, please, I could use a little rest here. I could use some good food. 
eating on the road. I did this last Wednesday morning. I planned out my day immaculately. I had so much to do and in Reno and only so much time. Boom, I can save 15, 20, 30 minutes if I grab one of my favorite best breakfast burritos at Flying J. Now I can eat in the car while I drive through 4,000 semis and people going 15 miles over the speed limit, bumper to bumper on I-80, if I'm lucky and I'm not stopped in some parking lot. When I could have spent that same time listening to that podcast or just being silent or just looking at the scenery, trying to find the wild horses, looking how full the river is and so forth. And I could have gone to, even at Costco, I could have just sat at a table and breathed and ate my food. There's My wife does a wonderful teaching about the peace that can be found at a table. I could have reprioritized that same time. That makes sense? All right, so you're getting the idea. Why do we do all screens all the time? I'm guilty. I get a voicemail message. I get a whatever. I think, you know what, I'm just going to text that person or inbox them or DM them rather than answer the phone. How horrible is that? Or how about if I pick up the phone and call somebody rather than making do, saving time, saving effort, saving output, saving energy by going screen to screen? Well, what happened to human contact? Once in a while, how about we just pick up the phone? On and on and on. Gaming is like energy drinks. The reason we do gaming, whether it's in a casino or online, is we get a dopamine hit. We get a dopamine hit in the brain. And that's the last thing we need if our soul is withering. Because again, that artificial stimulation, we need less stimulation. What we crave is less. On and on and on. How about we move on from there? Does anybody have any comments or questions about Mary? I would call that last this emotional dysregulation. Either way, I like the idea of being refreshed by the Lord because once we start recognizing what I see and address the things in those areas, like, mm-hmm. God, I to distractions, you know, right. like I you know, move my heart again. Right. And that's where the message is ending today. That's the segue to the close. I'm already five after the hour. And I want to give you a chance to actually put this into motion. I want to do activation. Let's do an Elijah. Maybe we're not curled up in the back of a cave in a fetal position, cowering. How about we don't get there? Wherever you are right now and always awaits you a vine. John 15. What we try to do as humans is become better grapes, better fruit, more fruitful in our own efforts. When everything the Lord is telling us is that's not your job. Your job is to be the branch. Draw on me. My father is the vine dresser. I am the vine. You're the branch. John 15, 1 through 17. Go reread that for the first time. My job is to be a branch. The life force, the God, the eternal life that flows in the branch is what makes the fruit. I just need to be the branch. And the bigger branch I am, the better I get at this, the more that I let my Lord and Master drive me, the better I reconnect with him, the more the Holy Spirit impels, compels me to do what is needed and to leave alone what he's taking care of, the greater the results, the more fruit. And that's what Jesus talks about toward the end of those verses. And fruit that remains. Did that make sense? 
It is that simple. It is that simple. Let God supply you. Let him nourish and replenish your soul. Reconnect as a branch. Return to presence. In presence you will find his peace. In the peace of his presence you will find his purity. In his purity, peace, and presence can be found his priorities, his solutions. Living from his presence, peace, and purity, and choosing to execute his priorities, you will find yourself operating in his power, which he will gladly share. Let's start with presence. This is your time. It's four minutes and one second long. You can afford to invest that time this morning. This is between you and Holy Spirit. Write down or record on your phone things that, one of two things, either things that are out of balance or things that you can do to restore balance in your days, to repurpose and reinvest time or just even snippets of time. Or how about this for being non-productive? Some of us are old enough to remember Madge, the Palmolive commercials. Madge. The lady comes into the nail salon, and Madge softens the ladies in order to do a manicure by soaking them, right? Most of them know what I'm talking about. The idea of soaking is just replenishing. It's, it's not anything weird or new agey. It's just sitting in his presence. I know women who sometimes say, okay, one woman. She sometimes says, I'm going to go soak in a hot bath. And she goes in there and she shuts the door. I don't really know what she does in there. But I know that she puts things in the water. Epsom salts, essential oils. And I know she creates an atmosphere. And I know whatever it is that she does in there, she comes out different. That's all soaking is, just for your soul. Just separating yourself for four minutes from your Live and silky. So if that's something that would help you today, just soak for these next four minutes. Otherwise, do some study with the Holy Spirit and see what he'd like to change. Okay? The book of Revelation is the, is the, the revelation of Jesus the Christ in his exalted state. Is it in the past? Is it in the present? Is it future? Yes. Because it's the revelation of Jesus in his exalted state. It's beyond time. Time is in him. The book of Revelation says this. I started this, I started this message out by saying, he wants to give you this. Here's the proof. And there are many scriptures. They're cited on that first slide. Revelation 7, 16 and 17. Their souls will be completely satisfied. Did you hear that? Their souls will be completely satisfied, and neither the sun nor any scorching heat will affect them. For the Lamb at the center of the throne continuously shepherds them into life, guiding them to the everlasting fountains of the water of life. And God will wipe from their eyes every last tear. Revelation 21, 5 and 6. And God enthroned spoke to me, John the Revelator, and said, Quote, consider this, I am making everything to be new 
and fresh. Write down at once all that I have told you, because each word is trustworthy and dependable. Then he said to me, It has been accomplished, for I am the Aleph and the Taf, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to all who are thirsty. As my gracious gift, they will continuously drink from the fountain of living water. Revelation 22:17. Come, come, says the Holy Spirit and the bride, us, in divine duet. Let everyone come. Let everyone who hears this duet join them in saying, come. Let everyone gripped with spiritual thirst say, come. And let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely. It is my gift to you. Come. Let me see the last slide. Abba wants us connected to the vine. Abba wants his branches. Abba loves his raisins just as much. But his will is to be fruit and fruit that remains. He really says that. Please do this. You're worth it. I love you. Yes, you. Thank you for letting me run long. And thank you for coming today. He loves you this much. Thanks again for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. We want to personally invite you to our Sunday services at 1030 a.m. held at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To find out more about the joy life, be sure to visit www.joychurch.life. See you Sunday.